Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. Today's episode is part two of a double feature on the innovators behind the Aligner Intensive Fellowship. Before we begin, if you're a fan of the show, please be sure to subscribe or follow Illuminate on your favorite podcast app. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a rating or a review. Now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode. We are doing great things, Chris, with the fellowship, without any compromise, and certainly no need for any apologies. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Jonathan Nicosesis. I'd like to take you back to February 2020, a month prior to the COVID outbreak and subsequent lockdown. I happened to be in Las Vegas where I was speaking at the Dynaflex Synergy meeting. After the meeting wrapped, I was having celebratory beverages with my good friend, Mike Parlante, and today's guest, Dr. Jonathan Nicosesis. At one point, Jonathan turned to me and said, so that's great you invented a button, but what's next? Well, that was a provocative question, as we had just released our second product, the clear precision aligner button. He said, you know, Chris, one thing always leads to another. While I had several other ideas for orthodontic products, I was mostly curious how other innovators such as Brandon Owen, John Pham, Luis Carrier, and even Dwight Damon made their ideas a reality. So that night was the first time I shared my idea to start a podcast one specifically about the stories of innovators. As far as a name for the podcast, I remembered a conversation I had with my inventing mentor, Stephen Key, author of the best-selling book, One Simple Idea. Stephen's words really resonated with me. He said, learn to shine a light on others. And just like a light bulb, the idea for Illuminate was born. So today, it's fitting to have on the show Dr. Jonathan Nicosesis. While Jonathan is no stranger to the spotlight, perhaps we'll see him today in a new light. Jonathan is, of course, the provocateur of plastic, best known as a speaker for Invisalign and the co-founder of the Aligner Intensive Fellowship. Jonathan also maintains a full-time orthodontic practice with offices in Princeton and West Windsor, New Jersey. As you'll hear on today's episode, if you connect the dots of Jonathan's professional accomplishments... One thing has always led to another. Well, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, Jonathan? Good evening, sir. I'm doing great. Great to be here with you. Finally, my Pleasure to see you again in person. We've talked about this for years. I know. Really, even before you had the Illuminate Orthodontic podcast. I know. We talked about this. We're going to dive into that in a second. Excellent. Why don't we tell everyone where we're at? We are at the Mother of Pearls Conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, Uh of course, I'm excited to be here, but it's my first MOPC conference. Oh, so, is it? Yeah, and I have the privilege of speaking twice tomorrow to my colleagues, which, as you well know, I always enjoy sharing my perspective and knowledge and 
um, put my slant on your things. Jonathanisms. My Jonathanisms. Yeah. I, I like that. It's well, great. this is a great meeting. Welcome to MLPC. I think this is a third time I've been here. Kicks off tomorrow. Welcome reception was tonight. Right. Did a really nice job. And uh, excited to hear your talks tomorrow. And surprisingly, we're not in New Jersey because I think we talked about it several times that we were going to record this where? That was the grand idea at our club, Yasna Palana, which was a, a golf club that we are members of, which has a, a wonderful history. Johnson & Johnson, I'm sure you've heard of that company, but mm -hmm. I can go on and on about it. But it would have made for some wonderful pictures and great dining, but more than happy to be here. That will be the sequel, perhaps. Perhaps. So I apologize. I'm not wearing my smoking jacket and slippers tonight to this uh, conversation, but uh, <laughs> but I feel like it is pretty bougie. We have some nice wine and hors d'oeuvres. Uh, sure. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Well, well listen, I, I've listened Set to- Set the table for us. Sure. I, I've listened to all your previous episodes, which are oh, truly wonderful, and not to cast dispersions, but you know- it's cocktails. It's like, you know, a fraternity party, right? So I, I decided to bring some refined culture to the podcast. Oh, Notice okay. I didn't say refinement because yeah. we're going to get it right the first time. That's right. All right. And so we're, we're drinking tonight a bottle of 2014 Opus One. Which is uh, incredible. Cabernet. It's been open now for a good half hour. The notes, the bouquet, texture, the silkiness is really... Second to nothing. I think this is a wine that we should actually describe to the listeners. So uh, if we give it the sniff test, such a nice bouquet. Wonderful note. What, yeah. what are you getting on the nose? For me, a California cab is all about the earthiness. Yeah. And th there's really nothing else like it for me. I get just the strong tannins, the smoothness. And, you know, unlike a typical California cab, which sometimes bites you with their tannic pomp and circumstance. This is bold, but yet smooth and refined. And it finishes very long. And, oh, and nice. so nice. Right. And maybe for people that aren't as familiar with wine, when a wine is tannic, you sort of feel that like pucker in the back of your cheeks. Is that the best way to describe it? Y yes. And you're, you feel like your your tongue is folding up on itself. <laughs> it's <a> way <laughs> on the dorsum. Since or we're, that too. We're maybe a more technical definition. Yeah, yeah. Correct. But, correct. But I like it. But listen, it's a privilege to be here. Happy to have this. And we do have some heritage cheeses. We've got uh, some honey to dip in, Marcona almonds, uh, some shrimp ceviche, and fruit leather, which I think is code for fruit roll-ups, which I think you and I enjoyed in our school lunches. <laughs> yeah, fruit leather. That's, that's, a new, that's a new one for me. <laughs> but I love it. Right. So excited to hear you talk this weekend. I'm honored you're finally on the podcast because you're someone that I've wanted to get on for quite some time and uh, just didn't, didn't work out, right? Our schedules. But uh, I want to acknowledge you for being such a mentor in my life and uh, very pivotal, sort of a, a confidant, as I was telling you before, with a couple of my ideas, like the precision sure. aligner buttons, even this podcast. Maybe we'll tell that story later sure. on. Sure. But you're someone that I've gone to, not just for advice, but encouragement as well. So. Sure. Well, Chris, listen, I'm proud for you and all of your accomplishments. And at the end of the day, as my father always told me, Christopher Columbus took a chance once upon a time. And look what happened to him, <laughs> you know, in terms of discovering a whole yeah. uh, different part of the world. But listen, happy to lend my perspective, my experience. You know, we go back a long ways from 
speaking in study clubs in New Jersey when you used to live in the Garden State. You know, you've accomplished a heck of a lot. And as I told you once upon a time, which was advice that was given to me, one thing always leads to the next, Mm. whatever that might be. And a lot of it is just putting yourself out there for things to bump into you or to slam into you sometimes or for you to go after things. Mm -hmm. So as I tell my kids, stuff isn't free. I don't use the word stuff. I use the real word, but stuff isn't free. (laughs) Stuff doesn't happen on its own and you got to make stuff happen for yourself. I love it. And I think you did that. Great advice. Well, thank you, Jonathan. So, Jonathan, you mentioned your father. Tell us about growing up. I understand you were uh, a Persian? No. (laughs) That's my brother from another mother. But, no, I am 100% Greek and and very proud of it. Grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And despite my appearances, I am not Amish. Uh, Really? I was fooled by that. No, no. um, And not Lancaster. No, it's Lancaster. You have to get the inflection just right. Of course. Born and raised there. My parents moved there when my mother was expecting me and my father and mother for that matter, because you've seen the movie, right? The father's the head of the household and the mother is the neck, <laughs> you know, controlling the head. Uh, but, you know, they started a business, a carpet business uh, way back in 1972, grew it. And um, I was kind of did my own thing as the orthodontist. And I always wanted to be an orthodontist ever since fifth grade. But, you know, growing up in a family business, in the retail business, taught me a lot mm. how to relate to people, people of, of all sorts of backgrounds, from the mom and pop, from the farm that puts grass carpet in their fine living room, to uh, the country clubber that drives their, you know, big Mercedes in and is very demanding. And those experiences, those skill sets that I learned dealing with people in the retail setting really... Um, has translated very well to being a owner of a private practice and dealing with parents and patients uh, for that matter. But yeah, grew up Greek and very important for me to marry somebody Greek. And, you know, you met my wife, Eleni, many times. And I'm smiling because there was a, a point in my life where I was very happy with the notion I would never get married. And I met her and married her within 11 months. It's pretty quick. It is. Well, listen, I listened to Beyonce and I liked it. So I put (laughs) a ring on it, you know? And so uh, one of my only regrets in life, actually my only regret in life is I did not meet and marry her sooner. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it's the truth. Eleni, I hope you're listening to this. She keeps me in check for sure. Oh, yeah. So, you know, which which I wouldn't have it any other way. So So getting back to the carpet business, Mm -hmm. I mean, from what I understand, it was pretty successful, right? They had like four locations. Actually six. Six. Six at the end. And your parents were like first generation. They moved here. Well, my my father came here at uh, six years old, Hmm. having never met his father. So uh, he escaped during World War II. It's a whole long story, but uh, my grandfather went back to visit the family every summer to bring money back to eventually bring everybody over. My father was, as he puts it, a happy surprise, but World War II broke out and nobody could travel. Yeah. And so it took him a year to escape from uh, the village in northern part of Greece, which is now technically Albania, which we visited in 2006, which was just an incredible eye-opening perspective on things. Took him a year to get down to Athens to then take a boat over to New York. And that's when he met his father for the first time. Grew up in New York, became a traveling salesman, 
and uh, decided to go up on his own and start a business and said, one day, you know, I'm tired of working for somebody else. Let me just go do it on my own. So why Lancaster County? Why Amish country? Uh, he was living in Long Island. They were living in Long Island, tired of the rat race. Even traffic was bad back then, mm. <laughs> you know. And uh, he would travel there for business and look, saw there was a beautiful area, lots of land. And there was a big uh, Greek community, a big Greek church in Lancaster, and that's what that drew them there. So. Wow, thank goodness. I mean, the universe would be totally different if you ended up a Jets or Giants fan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, th- those people I don't speak to too much. And, and here's a true story. Uh, Jets and Giants fans in my practice, they never get their braces off. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, that's rough. But no, yeah, listen, I, I, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in Lancaster, lifelong friends that, that I still speak with on a regular basis, but it really uh, was a wonderful place to live and, and grow up and yeah. um, couldn't have wished for anything more. And then I know you went to college in Pennsylvania, Lafayette, right? Okay. God, <laughs> you just hurt me big time. No, I went to- I am totally teasing uh, him course, here. So the, no. uh, that was his rival school. That he is went to correct. Lehigh. Lafayette was my safety school. Uh, <laughs> but no, I went to Lehigh University and I, I chose Lehigh because they have an accelerated pre-dental program with the University of Pennsylvania. So uh, interesting fact, you know, back in the 1989, there was no internet. There was no things you can look at online that you can do, no virtual tours that you could do. Right. And so I remember going to a bookstore, getting Kaplan's big college review and just thumbing through different schools of what their majors were. And I always wanted to be a, an orthodontist since the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just looked for places that had pre-dental programs. And uh, Lehigh was one of them. And I applied there and got in and, and I chose it with never seeing the campus. Is that right? That is right. And when I went there to visit it, they handed my deposit check. It was pouring, pouring, pouring rain. It was just like a miserable tour. But mm. the way I looked at it, Chris, is that I figured I knew I wanted to be an orthodontist. And if I could go to a college that got me into dental school, sort of in the side door, if you will, where if I maintain a certain GPA, uh, I could put up with any place for three years, as long as it got me to my final destination. So you were so driven because I wanted to enjoy that college experience and wanted <laughs> my senior year, but you just you just want to get through that, right? Well, listen, I had plenty of fun in college. You All know, right. uh, but I did you sur- have college tequila? No, no, I did not. I tequila <laughs> me just don't mix. But I will say this: I made it a point to surround myself with like-minded friends. By that, I mean people that worked hard and played hard, mm-hmm. but worked first. And so all of my very close college friends are doctors, surgeons, attorneys, et cetera. And so we really challenged each other. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that period of my time, and I'm very fortunate that we all found each other because we challenged each other. We we're still very close, and it was a wonderful time. Do you keep in touch with them? We do routinely. Okay. I mean, yeah. text messages, phone calls, you know, ribbing, Facebook groups, what have you. So, yeah, you know, now we're all married and gray hair and less hair, you know, et cetera. So, but no, we, we have a great time together still. Awesome. Now, let's talk about dental school, yes. University of Pennsylvania. Yes. The prestigious University of Pennsylvania. You're right. You know, Penn um, loved my time there. I liken dental school like 
as the most fun I never want to have again. <laughs> right? You know, it's almost like pledging a fraternity where um, I learned a lot, not just about dentistry, but about research. And so uh, one of my mentors at Penn was Dr. Joseph Gaffari, who I have to be very thankful for and, and express a lot of gratitude because he placed a lot of um, trust in me as a lowly dental student where he locked me away in a basement for three years counting cast models for his class two uh, multi-center study with University of Florida and, and Chapel Hill, et cetera. That was a landmark study, Chris, because it was one of the first to be ever given funding by NIH to assess class two studies. So I learned a lot about research there and the value of not just research of prospective studies, which if I'm being critical, woefully our orthodontic discipline, if you will, um, is certainly lacking. In some ways, I think it's hard to do prospective studies because sometimes it's so hard to just get a control, right? The other challenge from my own personal experience with my master's thesis research is that you know, orthodontics is not life and death, mm-hmm. fortunately. As such, the FDA doesn't look at us as anything that really needs to be as investigated, you know, say as, as thoroughly because of that. It's not like you're investigating a new therapeutic drug or, right. or what have you, but it's a double-edged sword, right? So you have to be it careful is. what you ask for yeah. because if you want the FDA to be involved, and more studies, then they're going to say, well, what does your data show you? Well, if phase one doesn't really change much, then why should insurance companies reimburse for that, you know, sure. phase one? Yeah. So, so you have to be careful what you ask for. It's almost like ClinCheck, right? You know, damn it, you ClinCheck, you didn't work, <laughs> you know? Well, why can't it work all the time? Why do I have to think? Well, be careful what you ask for, because if it works automatically, then you'd be just as, you know, upset. Then you might be obsolete. Yeah, correct. So anyway. <laughs> so you stayed in Pennsylvania for your orthodontic residency, right? That is correct. You know, I was fortunate where I applied to 19 orthodontic residency programs Which because- pretty average, I think, right? I guess, but I just didn't want to do operative dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. Um, I got 16 interviews. And I can only wow. go on 13. I mean, that's uh, be- impressive. Because, well, I don't say that to be braggadocious, but, you know, it was just, I wanted to be an orthodontist. Yeah. And I went on 13 interviews and I just remember it was a lot of traveling. I wore the same suit, same ties, same shirt, same shoes. And what was interesting is you meet a lot of the same people on these interviews. And oh, yeah. I still see them at at meetings now, and we you know, talk about you know, that time during uh, interview season. But I was fortunate enough to match at my number one, that being Temple University. I had spent a month doing an externship there during dental school where I got to meet and interact with uh, what would be my mentor, uh, my chairman, uh, Dr. Orhan Tunjai, uh, who really um, crafted me and, and my classmates and all the people that he touched into the, the orthodontic thinkers that we are in private practice. Uh, and so I, I owe a lot of gratitude for him for not only um, educating me as an orthodontist, not training me, but educating me so that I can go out and be creative. And he, he trusted me a lot when it came to my master's research mm. and uh, gave me a lot of um, slack, if you will, to pursue 
something that, you know, was science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had the pleasure of hearing Dr. Tunjai speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tunjai, T-U-N-C-A-Y, right, correct. for our listeners. Yes. And I believe he's Turkish. Is that, that, that is correct. And so funny you should say, you know, when I told my father that I got into temple, he's like, oh, what's the name of the chairman? I'm like, Tunjai. He's like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's Turkish. He's like, you can't go there. You're Greek. <laughs> I'm like, no, dad, he's, he's, it's nothing like that. I say, listen, we're going to work on the whole Greek Cyprus issue for the two and a half years I'm there. I said, honestly, he's the James Bond of orthodontics. So did he buy it at that point? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He, he was fine with it, but no, Tunjai, um, Orhan is somebody that still, when he walks into the room, Chris, my heels click, I stand at attention, and uh, I get a shortness of breath. Is that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Was he tough on you? Oh, his stories are the stuff of legends uh, in terms okay. of, of just, tell, well, listen, if you're going to be late to a Dr. Tunjai seminar at eight o'clock, meaning you're better off driving your car into a telephone pole <laughs> <laughs> so that you have- So what would, what would he do? Oh, he'd lock you out. Oh, and- You, you were just not allowed in. Like if you come in and it's eight o'clock, eight o one, he would ask you to leave the room. Is that right? Yes, and of course I've never had that experience because as I teach my kids, if you're not early, you're late. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I always made a point to be on time, always. And I'm just a very punctual person in general. So I mean, were people literally like banging on the door to get into your morning huddle or something? Well, they knew better after the first one or two. They knew just not to come in. Yeah. And then when seminar was over, they were in his office, you know, waiting to give him their explanation. And here's the other thing with Orhan: he's very fair, and he did not demand of other people what he did not expect of himself. Hmm. With that guidance, with that leadership. We ran a tight ship at Temple, Department of Orthodontics. It's something that I still carry, that culture, that sensibility in private practice. Um, and then even in my other endeavors that I've had the good fortune to be involved with. So, mm. Well, besides, you know, the discipline and the fairness, when I think of Dr. Tunjai, I think of like very early innovator with plastic and moving teeth and probably more like Essex retainers, you know, using the jigsaw to cut the teeth off the model. I think he developed some early attachments, some like twin attachments of some type, right? Correct. He did way, way back when, when there were no such things as optimized attachments, but yeah, he, he he certainly did. And uh, to your point, Chris, you know, Orhan always made a point to say that teeth are stupid and that always stuck with me. And, 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 Teeth are agnostic. They don't know what is pushing on them, pulling on them. He and Bob Boyd, who I believe were classmates oh, at, right? at Penn way back oh, wow. when, were visionaries in that they recognized that aligners, when designed properly back in 2000, when it first came out, it was in its infancy. But they recognized in a generation or more that it would be transformative and applying science and biomechanics will really transform the way we do orthodontics. The next aspect of transformative change that Orhan always baked into our heads was augmenting the biology, the physiology Mm. of tooth movement. And so he did a lot of research early on when he was at Kentucky, I believe, on applying non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to tooth movement 
uh, endomethacin, et cetera, doing fibrotomies, uh, et cetera. And so it's not just the physicality of how you move teeth in terms of the appliance that you choose, but also augmenting the physiology. I mean, that's, that's really the sexy part. When we come back in just a moment, how Jonathan researches a pregnancy hormone for preventing orthodontic relapse, how he gets involved in clear aligners, and look back at Jonathan's contributions through the sunglasses of U2's Bono. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from KLO and Stride. What if you came in Monday morning, looked at the schedule, and every appointment was as simple as an aligner visit? It could be. Stride Custom Braces by Kale Owen help you leverage your investment in digital workflow to grow your practice and find more hours in your day. How about 35% fewer visits? Stride gives precise control in all three orders using a kit of 27 patented brackets with advanced AI software and true straight wire mechanics. Available in metal, clear, and now self-ligating. To request a demo, go to klowenortho.com and receive a free case when mentioning this podcast. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Jonathan Nicosesis. So sitting in lecture, I don't have a superpower, Chris, but I think I've I got... disagree. A, well, no, I think I've got a lot of dumb luck, and that dumb luck is I have... I think, an ability or an uncanny ability to tie seemingly unrelated things together. Okay. By that, I mean we were talking about, in a seminar once, about relapse in orthodontics. The band? And, no, not relapse the band. No, no, no. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is back in the, the days of the CD. And so we we're talking about relapse and the physiology of what goes on. He talked about the stresses that the gum tissue has when a tooth is moved, when a tooth is rotated, the gum tissues, the connective tissues, the collagen stress. And I kept hearing the word stress. Then they unstress, the teeth relapse back. And that's why circumferential fibrotomies are potentially helpful towards mitigating relapse. And so what's the opposite of stress? To relax, okay, right? There you go. Uh, and so relax, I remember hearing about this hormone at Lehigh in biology class called relaxin that is best characterized for its role in pregnancy. So relaxin is a hormone just under 6,000 kilodaltons of molecular weight, if I remember my, all my stuff. Oh, just and, that. Just that, that females make when they're pregnant, and it helps relax the connective tissue, the collagen and elastin fibers mm-hmm. in the pubic symphysis so that the pelvic girdle can widen and the baby can come through. And so I had the brain bubble that, well, what happens? I, I raised my hand. I said, well, what happens when we treat pregnant women? And they, everybody looked at me like I was about to drop a joke. I'm like, no, I'm being serious. So what happens when we as orthodontists treat women who are pregnant when they've got this hormone mm-hmm. relaxant to the connective tissue, and they had no idea. And so I'm like, that's my research project. Yeah. And so my notion was to investigate the role, uh, potential role of relaxin 
in developing a therapeutic, very avant-garde, very, new, you know, never been done before to help mitigate relapse. So instead of doing circumferential fibrotomies, we might apply this gel that will help relax the collagen fibers, the elastin fibers. And interestingly, collagen fibers one and three or three and nine, I forget, Chris, this is going back 25 years, are the same in the pelvic girdle as they are in the periodontal ligament, as well as the circumferential fibers. Getting back to my earlier comment, you know, Orhan allowed me a lot of leeway. Yeah. And he said, well, it sounds like a great idea. Go figure it out. And so, you know, again, this is the beginnings of the internet. So I researched Relax and I got this name, David Shearwood from University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign campus, world-renowned expert in relaxing, mm. called him up, didn't know me from Adam. And I said, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Can you send me some relaxing? And it wasn't like a strain of cannabis or something. No, 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 <laughs> certainly not. No, but uh, this is a pig relaxing that, okay. that he had purified down into yeah. concentrated form that I then had to uh, reconstitute. And I did my research on that at Penn with uh, another mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Hunduk Na, who's an orthodontist, does a lot of craniofacial research uh, in the Levy building at Penn. And, you know, I was back in the Levy building before I was with Gafari, and now I'm with Dr. Na uh, and doing my relaxing uh, research, which was really a nice counter to the clinic. Mm. Super interesting story. And it's, you know, interesting that, a, Orhan gave you that freedom to be creative and explore that. But interesting, too, that he thought the future would be enhancement of biology, which was really big in, oh, I want to say 2012 to 16, right? And you were involved with the company Propel, I believe. Sure. So, correct. Dialing it back to history, you know, augmenting the biology was something that orthodontists been trying to do. There were electric braces, which I think was Zev really? Davidovich from Harvard, I believe, Electric braces, trying to stimulate the physiology. Try the, the pulp. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever it yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were other things like ultrasound, et cetera. But Propel, I got involved with augmenting. And I did not develop Propel. Let's make that clear. That was yeah. done by, I believe, Christina Teixeira, who went to Penn for her PhD and went on to NYU. Uh, but it was creating, you know, perforations, microosteoperforations into transmucosal into the bone and, you know, say what you will about the quote unquote data and the studies, et cetera. I never use Propel with braces. I don't want to say the teeth move slower, but I will say that the teeth bound more so that mm. when I was closing extraction spaces and I did Propel or shifting midlines over, the teeth would rotate more, bind on the wire and actually slow up until I put traction on the lingual and then moved it power chain buckle and wing. Okay. So for me, Propel made all the sense in the world, microosteoperforations with aligners, because aligners are a set it and forget it mentality. It's a set it and forget it appliance. Where when you know what you're doing, you can design your force system, set your mouse trap, and let it run. And so I had very good success. I no longer use it because they uh, stopped making the osteoperforations tips, which is fine by me. I mean, I'm still getting great results uh, without it. Yeah. Well, let's circle back to, you know, we were mentioning Dr. Tonjai's involvement with plastic. And mm -hmm. at what point were you exposed to aligners? Was this during residency, private practice? So, you know, I graduated in the fall of 99. 
And the fall of 99, Invisalign did not commercially exist. Mm -hmm. And I did not take the certification course until three months later in January. I thought it was 97. They just had like... Well, well, 97 is when they were incorporated as a company. And it wasn't until 2000 when they started, quote unquote, releasing the product. Okay. Releasing the product and selling cases, which it's not even a case. You were paying per aligner back then. Is that right? Yes. Wow. There, There was no additional aligners or refinement. It was paper aligner and it was truly- Do you remember what it cost? It was $25 an aligner. For like just one? One aligner, top and bottom. Wow. And so, you know, I think they were figuring out their business model. We were figuring- Not too different today, actually. No, no, it's certainly (laughs) not. Um, But, you know, back when, you know, in 2001, I took a tour of the headquarters uh, at Align back then- Back then, everything was PVS impressions, right? Mm-hmm. And not only that, but you would send your PVS, they would pour it up in stone. They would then take that stone model, which you assume there are no bubbles in it because somebody else poured it up, and they would embed it in black epoxy. Really? And okay. then they would do destructive scanning. So they would shave down a layer. I don't pretend to know what the thickness of the layer was. Take a photograph of that white model embedded in the black epoxy shave another layer down, take another photo. So you'd have all these photos that they would then reconfigure together Hmm. to render the three-dimensional model. That sounds crazy. It's the way it was. It's certainly not scalable (laughs) (laughs) the way it is now. But yeah, that's a bit of history. But getting back to your question, you know, my exposure to plastic to aligners was simply as a young associate trying Hmm. to make a difference, trying to make my way in private practice is I wanted to incorporate this new thing that at first we thought it would just replace spring aligners. Okay. Right. You know, for some, relapse, you know, yeah. for relapse from mild yeah. crowding and or spacing to then just, you know, figuring out uh, how to apply the biomechanical principles that we take for granted every day with fixed appliances to aligners. And it truly was best practices protocol and mm. did not have all the sophisticated technology software that we do now to make the learning curve much less horizontal. <laughs> yeah. so, so were you certified in Invisalign? I don't even know if they certified people back then in, they did. in the early days. Were you like one of the first people certified? Or? Yes, but again, you know, that when you go into somebody's office and say, hey, I'm doing Invisalign, they're like, what are you talking about? You know, and so, yeah, I was a certified provider or doctor, et cetera. But it was early on, we were all trying to figure it out. And there was a lot of commotion in the orthodontic industry with that. But I really didn't let that distract me Hmm. because I would go to study clubs in the greater Philadelphia area. There would be a bunch of us that would just sit in the room and bring cases and talk about our successes and our failures and kind of build a platform from there. Yeah. To be clear, before there was Invisalign, people were sort of doing it bootleg themselves, right? Like, sure. So I studied under Jack Sheridan. Okay. And I think before him it was what, Kessling? Kessling, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, you know, people were essentially taking algebra impressions, cutting it out, Making sectioning the teeth, Essex retainer, right. resetting in wax, do it a little bit more, make another one, right. or or take a new impression once the tooth moves a little right, bit right, more. Right, right. Essentially, wait, right. it sounds like in-house aligners, doesn't it? 
well, I'm not going to rail against no, the Nelson I'm not Line. Railing, but, but no, but yeah. it's labor intensive. Well, yeah, it is labor intensive. So right? I guess Invisalign was the first to say we're going to outsource this. Well, right? we're going to automate it. We're going to scale it. We're going to introduce CAD CAM to an otherwise analog process. Okay. Well, fair right? enough. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so that was my introduction and I stuck with it through all the pitfalls, through all the ditches that I fell faced first with. And to that end, Chris, you know, I look at my career as an orthodontist sharing my experience with aligners. And I started out as kind of the mechanics guy mm-hmm. and kind of figuring out how to do certain movements on certain teeth with different attachments, et cetera. And then I evolved to, well, all right, now I'm doing a lot more. How is this impacting my business? How is this impacting the practice management? Why, as I'm building this share of chair, if you will, am I taking home less initially until I I reach some sort of plateau, some sort of point, some crossover point that nobody, you know, had really thought about before or what have you, or well delineated out. And these are questions that I, and of course, other people were asking at the time to then, you know, incorporating the whole digital workflow that's been transformative to best allocate the scarcity of my resources, which are really time, labor, and schedule capacity. Well, I have to give you credit because there was something I read today or perhaps heard in an interview where you said, relating your own experiences has been my guiding light. And, you know, I have to give you credit because you have reinvented yourself in some ways, (laughs) right? Sure. Uh, Throughout your career, you've had certain talking points or things you've been known for. Right. Like you mentioned uh, biomechanics, perhaps in the beginning with your sash attachment, yin yang, and then getting into maybe more orthopreneurial, if you will. Sure. Thank you, Glenn, for letting us use the term. Right. Uh, Concept, share of chair, plastic employee. Right. You know, you've sort of become more of a giver more recently with uh, the fellowship, right? Sure. People have referred to me as the Madonna of orthodontics because I've reinvented myself along this way. I I want to know who called you the material girl. Uh, Well, (laughs) listen, diamonds are a girl's best friend, or at at least my wife tells me that. So, um, you know... I would say this. I think I, more of myself as the Bono of orthodontics. Oh, Bono. Yes, is that right? Yes. And, and why is that? Because Bono likens himself as a, a small man with big ideas. And, you know, I'm not that tall in stature, you know, but I, oh, I've had on. a lot of big ideas o- over the time. And so I'm a huge U2 fan. I know you're into music. Uh, oh, yeah. And so U2 has just always been my go-to for all aspects of my life. And so I think about a lot of my contributions, as you talked about, and papers that I put out there. And uh, some papers have been in referee journals, some have been in trade magazines, et cetera. But, you know, I like to think that they've all been somewhat impactful. And They have for me. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And so I think about likening my publications to a lot of the U2 albums. Okay. If, if you will allow me some. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, my very first publication in 2006 was Clinical Reports and Techniques, which certainly was a very worthy first publication discussing the merits of beveled attachments and a surface area and ex- my extrusion protocol. I liken that to U2's first album, Boy. Okay, where, where okay it, fair, uh, enough. fair so, enough. So just remind me or refresh me, do you bevel into the force vector or do you create the undercut? So it's all about surface area. Okay. Right? And surface area is king which is one of my sayings from the fellowship course. And so I think beveled gingival for me has always made sense. And I was validated 
in 2009 when the first set of benchtop engineering testings talking about bevel gingival specifically for extrusion because it was reproducible and gave the proper force system to elicit the desired movement. Okay, so, very good. So that was the boy album, was the which boy is U2's album. first my, my album. First, but continuing on, yeah. you know, my opus, if you will, my yeah. big, like, you know, U2's big album is the Joshua Tree. Oh, who doesn't like Joshua right? Tree? Right, yeah. where it's kind of a standard for all others to yeah. be measured against. And so I think that my paper, Tripping the Plastic Fantastic Rotation Sensation with Invisalign, is really my Joshua Tree. Yeah. You know, it, it is... Everyone uh, should get that on vinyl, right? It, it, of course. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a solid basis, a really a gravitas for all others to be measured to. And so that, again... I, I know you're proud of that. I teased you a little bit on the last podcast that's okay. about that one. That's but, okay. But listen, I, I know I'm sounding full of myself, but, you know... I, we're I, indulging you right now. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, so the sash attachment, let's talk a little... I mean, yes. that has to relate a little bit to the fact that your beautiful wife, Eleni, has participated in pageants, right? Yes. So... Did she name it or you just sort of... Well, I, she was certainly the inspiration. And okay, so, the you know, so she was my muse for many things, obviously. But uh, yes, yeah, so she is the muse behind the sash attachment because it's going across diagonally, much like a, a beauty queen's a sash. So, yeah. you know, she is the inspiration uh, for that. So uh, very proud of that. And then it's been, um, I think, one of the best attachments out there. And, you know, listen, Align has and continues to make generational improvements. Yeah. And as somebody that has created conventional attachments, please understand, I'm a big fan of optimized attachments, and they work well. Me too. Okay. Yeah. G7 for rotation. I mean, if, if I'm being a bit full of myself, I think G7 and G8 are a bit sashy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in their configuration. I don't know all the Gs. I can't keep uh, well, up with them. Well, that's okay, yeah. but that, leave it to me. But when you have to deal with extrusion, when you have to deal with rotation, when you have to deal with second order movement, you know, multi-plane movement, a sash attachment really addresses all those simultaneously. Oh, it's a great attachment. Right, right. So, but yeah, the sash is, um, uh, it's trusty, right? Yeah. It rarely fails me. Okay. So next album, Octung Baby, right? Octung Baby for me is, I think about Octung Baby very avant-garde. And for me, that's the plastic employee. It was very provocative at the time, really experimenting and pushing boundaries and made people think differently mm-hmm. on not only how to make music, but how to practice orthodontics and how replacing labor, doing more with less, et cetera, and has really evolved to, I think, being more of the digital employee. What, what were the big hits on Octong that was like Mysterious Ways? And- M- Mysterious Ways, Zoo Station, Even Better Than The Real Thing. Okay. Oh, which that is, was a great which, song, which yeah. Is, the title of my upcoming summit presentation. Oh, is it now? Managing Missing Upper Twos, U2s, even better than the real thing. <laughs> so You're so good at these lecture titles. Well, thank you. You know, So that's that. And then yeah. uh, No Line on the Horizon, Yin Yang Attachment, A Clear Path to Molar Zen. And then I will end with this. <laughs> the Aligner Intensive Fellowship yes. is a combination of Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience. Why, why is that? Why? why? Because it's your it, double album? It's our double album because it really crafts what Maz and I have endured doing yeah. orthodontics with aligners, in this case, Invisalign aligners. And it's really our love letter to the orthodontic profession. Yeah. Uh, more so, we have curated 15 guest contributors that lend their niche, their expertise 
on doing orthodontics with aligners. And so thank you for indulging me, but these are things that I think about, things that I, I take seriously. I realize I enjoy being entertaining, but there is reasons for that, you know, because yeah. it creates a story. It creates something that people remember so that it sticks with them. So it's easy for them to apply for the next cases. So if you would have told me 23 years ago, graduating from Temple, that I would be helping my orthodontic colleagues, you know, be better in their private practices, I would have said, you're crazy. And at the end of the day, Chris, as I said in my interview at Temple, I consider myself a first among equals. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean, I'm giving what I think I'm best at when I'm first at for everybody else to, to learn from. And I think if we all continue to do that as a profession, the future is bright and wide open. Well, you know, I noticed, because I've known you for a while, I've noticed a little bit of a shift too in you because knowing you, I guess, earlier in the Jersey days, you were a bit of a renegade. You know, you were very self-confident. As as hard uh, as that is to Maybe an acquired taste for some. But really with the fellowship, I see you more as uh, really trying to give back to the profession. And I think people really realize that. Songs of experience. Yeah. And to relate back to the YouTube album, I mean, if I remember correctly, Bono basically had stories of like his childhood, right? right? And like, you know, how that all relates back. So let me ask you, Chris. Yeah. What was the first concert you ever attended? Uh, it was a band called Live. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. them. That was your yeah. first concert? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm younger than you. I think I it was probably 97 or something. Yeah. Wow. Throwing copper, right? Lightning crashes. Okay. My very first concert was September 25th, 1987, Joshua Tree. Oh, U- you saw them on U- tour. U2 wow. at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia with over 100,000 people, which is where they held Live Aid. Whenever I hear where the streets have no name, Chris, I get goosebumps and my hair stands up. My hair is standing up. I mean, just that that, edges riff, right? The whole thing. It's just, anyway, it's incredible. What a song. Incredible And And I had the fortune of seeing you two at the Prudential Center in Newark, or The Rock, right? The Rock, right. I can't remember the tour, but they are such performers. Oh, of course. I mean, everything is so polished, and I mean, they just had that arena just rocking, right? Everybody was into it, standing up. They have mastered the art of engaging their audience, not to come back and talk about myself, but when I lecture, I try to engage the audience. I try to be a good storyteller and give them something to remember by. So I know, you know, people are tired of my taglines, and it gets some Oh, your taglines are great. But, you know, but, but some people are tired of them, but- they are legit and they make people think differently. And that's the nature of why I come up with them. Yeah. Well, they're creative and you get a chuckle out of them. So of course. Of course. <laughs> so Jonathan, I don't always take questions from listeners, but oh, uh, I actually have one from an anonymous <laughs> listener, believe it or not. Do you know why throughout history and in modern day, Persians are better than Greeks? Uh, from Maziar M. <laughs> wow. Wonder, uh, wonder who that might be. Yeah. How did you meet Maz? Let's dial back here. Okay. Let's hear your version I I listened to your wonderful podcast with Maz and truly, I mean, it was terrific. Thank you, Um, sir. The truth is- It was the tequila. Of course. The truth is I met Maz. It wasn't at an AAO to set the record straight. It was at an Invisalign summit meeting where I was going up an escalator and Maz was coming down- the other side. Okay. And he said hello to me and he jumped over to my escalator 
and like a salmon swimming up current, <laughs> plowing through people, he came up and asked me for my autograph. Is that right? That is correct. Oh, that sounds like a very true story. <laughs> uh, what he said was was correct about you know meeting at a a faculty lecture series together at an AAO and just struck up a friendship and. Um, Listen, and it sounds like Eleni was very instrumental. Yes, in, she, in that going. she was always thoughtful as she is in buying them a baby gift, you know, mm-hmm. for their son. And uh, we just really struck it up from there. And um, I remember calling Maz one night. I was probably just put the kids to bed, tired, poured myself a glass of wine. And I said to him, we need to reinvent clinical education. Mm. We need to come up with something on our own. I don't know what that is, but... You and I got to do it. And uh, we just started ping-ponging wow. ideas back and forth. You heard the story in his podcast. and uh, But listen, in all seriousness, Chris, when Maz and I first met and had this idea and we were asked what our goals are, I simply said, I want to be known as the prophet and Ackerman contemporary orthodontics textbook, but for aligner therapy. And I recognize that's provocative. It's a, it's a bold statement. It's, I recognize it's bold. But there was a void for mm. years in dearth of information. I think I alluded to this a little bit in the last podcast right. that really the education came from a line, right? And just and it was very like microeducation in terms of Correct. ask the expert webinars, white papers. It was uh, it was certainly not half day meetings. Correct. It was certainly not a comprehensive a to Z mm-hmm. endeavor of all things aligner orthodontics. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, we are very privileged, Maz and I, as well as all of our guest contributors, uh, part of AIF, mm-hmm. to help our profession get up to speed quickly in this, you know, shifting marketplace. And so it's a privilege. It's something I don't take lightly and is a true honor. And uh, just meeting people today coming up and having very nice conversations about um, their experience or positive experience and impact that our course and its content has had in their daily practice lives has been very rewarding for me. And I know Maz feels the same way. Well, I owe a lot to both of you because while I felt like I knew quite a bit about aligners beforehand, I certainly feel like I gained an incredible amount of confidence about tackling really any type of case with aligners after the fellowship. Because You know, I love how you guys broke it down in terms of like case types, because I don't think, you know, it was sort of done a little bit before, but again, just sort of the breadth and reach that you guys did of putting all that together and compiling it. I mean, it just, it must have taken forever, right? Listen, it was a shoot, aim (laughs) sort of thing. (laughs) And we hit go and we were just doing it cobbled together. And of course we have refined it pun intended, you know, since since the beginning. But at the end of the day, we've had a lot of fun and we've impacted a lot of people and not only those in private practice, but future generations to come. When we come back in just a moment, we'll hear about what's new with the Aligner Intensive Fellowship. What would Jonathan be if he weren't an orthodontist and his unexpected snack food obsession? Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Support for this podcast also comes from Lightforce Orthodontics. 
Lightforce was co-founded by orthodontist Dr. Alfred Griffin and is one of the fastest growing companies in orthodontics. Lightforce provides a digital platform to fully customize 3D printed tooth moving tools. They've recently launched the world's first fully custom 3D printed buckle tubes. These new custom tubes function like all other Lightforce brackets and provide the value of a custom base, an increased range of rotation, and complete the custom bracket system. Head over to lf.co to request your demo today. And we're back to our conversation with Dr. Jonathan Nicosesis. Let's talk about ClinCheck Confidential. Mm. Thank you for bringing that up. So, yeah. you know, based on consistent feedback that we gotten from people taking our course, mm-hmm. they want a better view as to how we do our own cases. And not only do our own cases, but do our own cases with the latest and greatest of generational improvements. And so ClinCheck Confidential... We have partnered with Regina Blevins, who, you know, needs no introduction because she's a force to be reckoned with, to to say the least. Maz, Regina, and I, we have a growing archive of cases, videos that we record ourselves doing our own cases. Every week we drop two cases and then it keeps growing this archive. And so, and it's a subscription-based model. These so are that, clin checks. I these are our okay. own clin checks. And yeah. they are all from the spring of 2020, I believe. Yeah, 2020 forward. So it's G8, the latest generation going forward. And we have them curated in all different case types. Deep bites, open bites, class one, two, teen, surgery, extraction. So that when you have an anterior open bite that comes in, if you're a subscriber to ClinCheck Confidential, you can go to our archive, our museum, if you will, of ClinChecks that have been recorded and curated for your ClinCheck curiosity. So that, dear it, Lord, <laughs> so that you know you can go and help yourself treatment plan your case to see how Jonathan does it, to see how Regina does it, to see how Maz does it with the way Jonathan taught him how to do it. And so, you know, it's a great resource. Not only that, but then once a month, we have a live virtual treatment plan session where those that subscribe to ClinCheck Confidential send in their own cases for us to review in real time. Mm -hmm. And so once a month, we, we trade off months. So it's me, then Maz and Regina. And we have an hour to two hour live webinar where orthodontists, Chris, from all around the world send us their cases and they are on live with us. Consistently, I have a colleague from Japan that I'm on at nine o'clock at night and it must be like, you know, 10 o'clock the next morning or nine o'clock the next morning. And he's talking to me from the future, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, how is it, you know, in the future, you know, give me some good stock tips, you know, but, (laughs) but we're helping them treatment plan their own cases. And those are recorded, those sessions and added to the growing archive. So ClinCheck Confidential is really a wonderful resource, a reference, if you will, of the latest and greatest of us doing ClinChecks with the latest technology. And can I mention that I love the fact that 
you know, you give your spin, Maz has his version, Regina may do her clench X a certain way. Right. But you mentioned to me, I think privately, that at times a line wanted to sort of make everything sort of cookie cutter and maybe right. toe the company line and like, hey, this is how you do it. But what I love about the fellowship is you and Moz do things differently mm-hmm. and that's okay. And you presented both. Right. And, and oh, you, have you know, to. you could let the doctors choose, you know, which approach or mix and match. Right. Of course. And, and that's the, it's just like, um, your residency. I mean, yeah. how many attendings did you have that did orthodontics differently? And so for me, you know, the fellowship was always about modeling the apprenticeship model in orthodontics. So, you know, there are always residency programs, but there was such thing as an apprenticeship model. That's right, back in the day. Back in the day where you would go and just shadow and work for an orthodontist for two, three years until he or she anointed you, almost like being knighted by Her Majesty, rest her soul, uh, to be a knight, you know, or to be, you know, an orthodontist. And so peer-to-peer learning is legitimate. And, And listen... And let me make this clear, Chris. Our goal is not to replace residencies, but rather to supplement residencies and what's being taught with a peer-to-peer format that has been, you know, very impactful. And so by way of data, you know, we have now trained over 5,000 orthodontists oh, 5, okay. globally. Hmm including all the residents that we are, are now engaging and their including faculty. Including one guy in Japan. Including one guy, multiple <laughs> people. I mean, we're, we're in all over the globe. Our net promoter score, by way of data, fluctuates between 88 and 92. So well, that's you, very good. Yes. So yeah. it is something that we take seriously. We are doing great things, Chris, with the fellowship without any compromise and certainly no need for any apologies. I want to touch on something else we did not dive into in the last podcast, but uh, Regina has a course, I believe, or a sub-course for ClinCheck coordinators, right? That is correct. Yeah, so can there, you explain that? Sure. That is AIM, A-I-M as in Mary, and it's Aligner Implementation Management course. Okay. And it's really about when you want to scale and incorporate aligners into your practice from the initial phone call to delivery of aligners, but more importantly, for really developing a ClinCheck coordinator. And I know that gets a bad rap in some corners of orthodontics, but it's really akin to like a physician's assistant mm-hmm. looking at the business model uh, of, uh, of medicine. And so a ClinCheck coordinator is somebody that will, during whatever your initial exam is, whatever notes you take, We'll upload the photos, we'll curate the ClinCheck and get it teed up for you as the doctor to review it so that you can use things like 3D controls, use things like live update to finish it, if you will. So like, let's say get 90% done. So you don't have to worry with all the meat and potato stuff. Exactly. And to be clear, they're not doing the ClinCheck's and approving them. They are just doing some of the iterations and taking off some They're of curating them. it for your eventual approval. Oh, perfect. To, to take care of all the heavy lifting, if you will. Yeah. And so that's really about scalability. And I think that resonates today, even two years plus post-COVID, with all the labor challenges that you know I'm fortunate not to have, but I hear a lot of our orthodontic colleagues still struggle with. I don't see that getting better anytime soon, but listen, this is all about leveraging technology 
to allocate the scarcity of your resources, that being time, labor, and schedule capacity? So question I asked Maz last podcast, this is the Orthodontic Pearls meeting, top aligner pearl for 2022. Mm. Boy. Yeah, you and Maz talked about vertical. Right? Could, oh, we love the vertical. You love the vertical. If I, if I, remember. are you a vertical guy, Jonathan? I, I don't dislike the vertical. <laughs> You're just not excited about it, like Maz it, and I are excited it, about vertical dimension. It doesn't, it, it doesn't move for me. Okay, <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I am so excited about it, it opening deep bites. Right. So I, I would say this for me. My biggest pearl is it is the unforeseen vertical movements, i.e. extrusion. Okay. Specifically of anterior teeth, both upper and lower, that when you press play on a clincheck, you don't see the subtleties that are occurring from the beginning stage to the last stage because it's going so smoothly. Okay. So my pearl is in the anterior view, you need to toggle between the beginning and the end starkly, black and white, on and off, and assess the vertical movements of all your anterior teeth, top and bottom, in reference to the smile line and your smile arc and how you want to design your smile upper incisor position. See if you want those vertical changes to occur. Because many times a, the technician, the automation will fix a deep bite simply by intruding the upper two to two 90% of the overbite correction and 10% intrusion of the lower. When you look at the smile line, you know, they show a half a millimeter gum tissue. The last thing you want to do is intrude the upper right. teeth. Look at that. See if you want the vertical movements. Mm. And if you do, make sure it's designed properly using an optimized extrusion attachment along with a protocol to advance the teeth, facially create space, and then extrude with simultaneous lingual retraction. Oh, that's your move, right? That's my move. Why, that's my jam. Y equals MX plus B, is that right? It is. And you know, my son is learning about that. I learned, right? learned about it last year and I started <laughs> chuckling like, Dad, can you help me with this? What's this Y equals MX plus B? And I'm like, oh, dude, you have no idea. <laughs> As it relates to orthodontics. But uh, anyway, but that's my jam. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So something interesting I learned about your partner here. If he were not an orthodontist, he wanted to be a chef. Did you know that? I did not. I would have guessed Maz for um, an eyelash model. Have you ever looked at his eyelashes? No, I haven't. He's got eyelashes for days. Really? They're, they're, they're beautiful. Yes, <laughs> incredible. Uh, no, not, not a chef. No, you want to know what I would be? <laughs> what would you be, Jonathan? I, I know, but go ahead. Let's. I would be a nationally known weatherman. No. A, a nationally known meteorologist. Not a local one. Right? No, not Just, a local. No, my, I, I grew up you know, really enjoying Willard Scott on the Today Show. Oh, I remember, yeah. I'm a huge Al Roker fan. I watch him, you know, every morning on Today's Show, listen to him. I just love his shtick, his, his sense of humor, uh, him as a person. And so if I could go back to become a meteorologist, uh, I would. My Nick, what, what would your name be? My name yeah. would be, so, you know, in Philadelphia, we had a gentleman, Hurricane Schwartz, uh, which was a little <laughs> nerdy guy with a you know, bow tie and glasses. No offense to, to Sheldon, 
uh, wearing a bow tie. But um, that know, wasn't fair. Come on. No, no but yeah, listen, I love wearing a bow tie, et cetera. But this guy's Hurricane Schwartz, right? And okay. he's anything but a hurricane when you look at him. But that was his nickname. But I, being in the Northeast, we have storm fronts that come through. They're known as nor'easters, northeastern. Right, and so right, I would yeah, be yeah. nor'easter Nicosesis. Oh, that would be my. And, and oh, listen, Lord. Oh, I mean, you think let about the all the groans begin. Of course. But you think about all the taglines that come up with orthodontics. Can you only imagine what I would do with weather? <laughs> <laughs> it is true, right? It would be a very entertaining weather forecast. A slight aside, in Tampa Bay, we have on Spectrum Bay News, not if you have Spectrum by any chance, but we have a guy, Brian McClure, mm-hmm. and he's a great meteorologist because he just, he inserts a lot of humor in there. Right. So he'll be like, oh, a hurricane's coming this way. Maybe we'll tell that hurricane to turn itself around. <laughs> it's, just, it's just hilarious. <laughs> just, just, and yeah. I sort of want to meet the guy. Right. Have you met Hurricane... Hurricane Schwartz. Schwartz. So interesting you say, okay, yeah. once upon a time... Flying to Las Vegas for an Invisalign summit, Hurricane Schwartz was on my flight. Did you lose your mind? I turned to Eleni. I'm like, Eleni, that is Hurricane Schwartz. <laughs> you would have think I saw Bono. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, and I was like giddy like a schoolgirl. And I, and I took his picture. She's like, go up and say hi to him. I'm like, I'm not going to say hi to him. Like, you know, but yeah, I was, I was floored. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't talk to him. I didn't talk to him. No, because he was <laughs> ahead of me, and I didn't talk to him. I, I was too embarrassed. Like you I didn't get his autograph. I didn't know what to say. Oh you know, asking to sign my raincoat or my umbrella. Oh you know? my gosh. <laughs> well, if Maz had a weatherman name, what would that be? If Maz had a weatherman name, probably Monsoon Moshiri. Monsoon Moshiri. I like that. Can I be a Cyclone Seta? Oh my goodness, that goes without saying. That sounds incredible. I want to talk about a few of your hobbies. Obviously, uh, golf you love, mm-hmm. the Eagles, Seinfeld. Right. Uh, a couple new things I learned about you today. Uh, you were into the Grateful Dead. I just don't see you being a deadhead. Oh my goodness. So, you know, I enjoy music a lot. And yeah. Grateful Dead, their music was terrific during college and dental school and residency for that matter, because with all the stress of studying and, you know, uh, trying to be a high achiever, that music, I'd put it on for half hour, 40 minutes a day, whatever it was. And it would just allow me to just decompress. I went to a bunch of concerts for the record, did not do any of the typical stuff that people do at, at okay. concerts. No uh, inhaling, right? No, nothing like that. <laughs> and just drank my beer, et cetera. But I just love the music. And um, I just don't see you being like a jam band guy, but apparently oh, you are, huh? No, totally. And, and when I'm uh, still in my car, I'll dial in the Grateful Dead channel and just enjoy uh, whatever 20-minute song is on. <laughs> and, and I, yeah, I mean, that, love it. Really just uh, could not say enough about how it got me through uh, dental school, college, and residency. Another thing I learned, I have to credit our friend uh, Dennis Flanagan. Oh, my goodness. Uh, You are an (laughs) avid fan of Doritos. I think specifically Cool Ranch Doritos, Uh, right? Dennis, you're giving away all my deepest, (laughs) darkest secrets. One of my uh, weaknesses in life is Doritos. 
And, and I just don't see this, right? Listen, there is simply, I, I will go on record, Chris. <laughs> there is no better snack food ever created than the Dorito. Is that right? The, the Frito-Lay Dorito. I mean, there are food Like original Doritos or? Well, it depends on what mood I'm in. But, okay, you know, so but based listen, on the nacho is the OG, right? The yeah. nacho cheese. Yeah. But the Cool Ranch came along. And fixed what appeared to not be broken, <laughs> right? And, and so the Cool Ranch, when it hits your lips, oh, it's so good. <laughs> the funny thing is you're at home drinking your expensive caps with Cool Ranch Doritos. Well, there's nothing better. <laughs> and you throw in a pepperoni Hot Pocket while you're at it. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, John, I think you're a secret stoner, even though you don't No, smoke. no, 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 certainly not. But during the shutdown, Dennis and I would chit chat via, you know, private messaging or call every now and again. And, you know, really just ha- had a lot of fun times together. And I look back at those times with good memories. So every Christmas, I look forward to getting the best <laughs> card in the mail. You guys do a Christmas card every year. Sometimes there's a theme, Peter Pan, Wizard of Oz. It's whimsical yet elegant, as I would uh, maybe describe the card. You have nothing to do with it, to be fair. This is all Lenny. But you go along with it, as you should. Right. Tell us a little bit more about about would. I would characterize it this way, Chris. Yeah. Despite me (laughs) and my (laughs) efforts, and I say that because, listen, my wife puts so much time and effort and thought into it, and while I might complain just a bit or my kids might misbehave you know I think as we have all gotten older we look back at these um, time periods these photos that she crafted that she created and they're truly wonderful we've done Peter Pan we've done Cinderella we've done um, all sorts of stuff and and this year we were happened to be in London and Scottsdale. Did, you did a shoot over there? We did a shoot over no in way. London, yes. And in Scottsdale in the oh, desert. Oh, I can't wait. So that's coming Will up. Will I get one? Yeah, well, I would. If you're on the mailing list, I'm sure I think you're... I'm on the mailing okay. list. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so listen, all credit goes to my wife for making such beautiful memories. And while I might complain here and there, it is truly something that I know my children already do and will continue to look back on with much happy thoughts and memories, uh, especially when they have their own families. So right now your kids are relatively young, but mm-hmm. do you think as they get older, like teenagers, are they going to go along with this or are they like on board or? Well, they have to if they want to sleep <laughs> sleep in a warm house. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Sure. I are mean, they be rolling their eyes. Yeah. No, but listen, back five years ago, it was all about bribing them with Toys R Us, mm-hmm. right? You know, now it's bribing them with uh, iPad stuff, you know, uh, okay. so every, so everything kind of different or, yeah. or Nike shoes or, you know, what have you. So. Um, but, uh, they enjoy it. They love it while they won't necessarily confess to it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that now as they've gotten older, they appreciate it. And, and to their credit, they're much more cooperative as they've gotten older. Okay. Very good. Jonathan, it's getting late here, but it's been a pleasure and honor to have you on the podcast. Before we wrap it up here, tell us if people want to learn more about the fellowship. Where sure. If yeah. you can go to alignerfellowship.com to learn more about the next courses and when they start and learn about the curriculum. And if you want to reach out to me, you can kick it old school to jnicozesis at hotmail.com. At hotmail.com. Hotmail. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> 
And if you want to get on the Nicosesis Christmas card list, where should you go? <laughs> well, you could DM me and I'll pass it along to the, um, to the committee. Just kidding. To Just the kidding committee. on that one. I want to thank Orthodontic Pearls for having us here today. Absolutely. Uh, quick plug for them. Their Mother of Pearls 5 meeting, MOPC 5, will be October 12th through 14th in San Diego, classy San Diego. That's where I took my boards, by the way. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Once upon a time. Wow. And I think they're doing a Top Gun theme with a party on the USS Midway. So, I mean, that should be pretty wow. epic. Yeah. Wow. Jonathan, it's been a pleasure. Let's clink some glasses here. Yes, sir. How, how do you say cheers in Greek? Yasu or Yamas. Yamas. Okay, there we go, sir. Terrific. Thank yes, you, sir. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm proud of you and all of your accomplishments. Wishing you much continued success. Again, honored to have a mentor of mine on the podcast. It's been an extreme pleasure and fantastic. Cheers. That's all for this episode of the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Special thanks to our sponsors for this episode. That's Kale Owen, Stride Custom Braces, and Lightforce Ortho. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the Illuminate team. That's Skylar Adler on the mixing console and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes electric piano. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. To hear exclusive outtakes, suggest a guest, or sponsor an episode, head over to IlluminateOrthoPodcast.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Chris Seta, signing off. Hey!